Ballistic Sports presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Follow Ballistic on Twitter at Ballistic underscore sports. This week, former Blue Jay J.P. Aaron Sebia explains how he had multiple suggestions about what to do with his life after baseball. Many directed him towards broadcasting. You know, when I got done, I had multiple people kind of reach out to me and say, hey, I think that you would be good at this. And now a man who's definitely good at this... What this is, however, nobody's sure. Here's Barry Davis. I'm still trying to discover. I know I'm good at something. Because my mother always used to say to me, Barry, you're going to be very good at whatever it is you do. You know, I always felt really good for the kids that grew up with moms who told them they were good at stuff. Yeah, yeah. She, <laughs> You know, I think she used to, you're really good at doing the dishes. You're really good at vacuuming, you know, son. <laughs> I really love watching you do it because you're so good at it. Sorry, didn't didn't work. Well, it worked for me didn't work when I tried it on my kid. Yeah. All right, folks, this is Out of the Park. And this week, as we look at life after baseball, another former Blue Jay and another completely compelling story as we speak with J.P. Aaron Sebia, who had an incredible moment when he made his debut with the Blue Jays, was a fan favorite, was a media favorite. But were the media a favorite of his? We'll find out when J.P. talks about the interesting turn of events that took him from having issues with members of the media to actually being a <laughs> member of the media. In part two of this conversation, it really turns towards mental health. And JP has been very vocal about his struggles with mental health. But where is he at right now in his life? He was married. He's no longer married. Where is JP mentally right now? Well, you'll have to listen to part two to know all of that, and that is part of our members-only show, and we will tell you later on how you can become a member. Uh, we will also have Asbury Davis because we have a very compelling question from one of our OTP members. A challenging one at that. Up next, though, Tom, we talk about one of the worst managerial decisions in baseball history, one of the worst human decisions in baseball history, and one of the more interesting hirings well, not in baseball history, but in recent time. All of those to cover up next. This is Out of the Park. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. And the first pitch is brought to you, well, it could be brought to you by you. Are you a business owner? Do you have your own company? Do you have a product that you want to advertise? Well, the first pitch, Thomas, is a great place to put it on because as we did with uh, the Jaywalk, who were just a wonderful client with ours and partner for, for many years, and hopefully we'll get them back once uh, baseball is back in full force. But you and I will do a weekly video for this segment, the first pitch. We'll put it out on social media, and it gets thousands of views. Each each one ever, always did. Yep. So uh, your company label can be right on the video, and we'll give you a plug and all. So um, if you want more information, we have a website now. Yep. Well, again, we had a website for a long time. It got hacked, and this thing was like the million-dollar man Steve Austin. We had to put it together. I think it was being used to defraud the uh, U.S. election for the Chinese. <clears throat> oh, okay. That's <laughs> always a possibility. But nsrmedia.ca is back up. Yep. And uh, now, are we? do we have the possibility for our listeners to interact with us now? Yeah, uh, by the time this episode airs, uh, people should be able to write into us, connect with us. Everything that was it was capable of before, it should be ready to go again by this Sunday. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. All right, before we get to our baseball discussion, Tom, uh, some big news, and we're really excited about 
what is about to come this week with our partners and friends from Ballistic Sports. They will be beginning a huge campaign beginning on November the 4th. That will be this Wednesday. And at that point, you will find out everything you need to know about these incredible games from Ballistic Sports. And we've talked about this for the last few weeks, and we'll remind you again. Of course, you can get all the information at BallisticSports.com. You can follow them on Twitter, at Ballistic Sports. And basically, this is the board game for sports fans, whether we're talking baseball, hockey, football. And basically, what you do is you watch these games while you are playing a board game. So you'll watch the Blue Jays game, say, while you've got the game going on, and you predict what is going to happen in the game. And if it's right, you move forward. And uh, even while there are no games, there are virtual ways that you can play this game. So a big Kickstarter campaign is going to begin this week. We should also let you know that $1 from every game that is sold is going to go back into youth sports. So a great cause, a great game, a great way to follow baseball and or hockey or football. And there are a number of podcasts that have already hooked up with ballistic sports, including us here at NSR Media, but also The First Question with Paul Hendrick, which is a great podcast. So far, he's had uh, guests including Luke Shen, Darcy Tucker, and Matt Stajan. So a great chance to hear from former Leaf players. And again, stay tuned this week. We'll have more information. Check out my Twitter pages and Instagram pages, and I'll have information regarding ballistic sports. All right, so the World Series wrapped up this past week, and anyone who is anyone probably dropped whatever they had in their hands when they saw Kevin Cash come out to get Blake Snell. He was cruising. He was phenomenal through five innings. Yep. Had a one nothing lead. There was no reason. He gives up a base hit, right? No reason at all to pull him out of the game. What, he had 75 pitches, something like that? Nine strikeouts. Phenomenal. <laughs> Top of the order was due up. He had mowed them down. He was in cruise control. Kevin Cash comes with the hook, and I'm sure anyone who watched it knows exactly, and even those who didn't know, uh, know by now. Mm-hmm. And I know watching at home, I'm like, please tell me I'm not seeing what I'm seeing, right? Is he injured? Is something wrong? Was he diagnosed with COVID and they had to come take him out of the game? Like, why would they do this? And they go to the bullpen. And again, I am against this 100 times out of 100, what happened. But if there was a fraction of a percentage that says, okay, I understand your computer, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Why would you not at that point in the game bring in your closer? If you can use a closer to open a game, why can't you use your closer in a one nothing game where the game is on the line? That's where the game needed to be saved. Yeah. You're pulling out your starter. you got to put in someone who you know is your most reliable reliever who's going to get you out of that inning, give your offense a chance to come up again, and maybe add on to that lead. And we've seen teams do this in the last few years in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Like, there have been, I can't remember, was it Boston? Well, hey, Clayton Kershaw. Pitch out of the bullpen if needed yeah, for yeah. a game seven. That's We've right. seen it with Justin Verlander. We've seen it with Aces. Yeah, this this is the last game. Like there's no one you need to save. Yep. At that moment in time, you take whomever you know is your most reliable pitcher that has not pitched at that point in the game. Instead, he brings in a guy that's been struggling, and before you know it, 
it's a 2-1 yeah. deficit that the Rays face. And they never came back from That was how the game ended. Yeah, that's all she wrote. I mean, I, I was happy. Uh, Loop got in the game, and then he pitched a clean batter, so that was nice. Yeah. But, but, yeah, it's... There, I haven't heard a single person. I haven't seen a single story written. I haven't seen any commentary defending the decision. No. So you know it, you can't defend it. It's a good thing in this like COVID land where everybody's on one side of one issue or one mm-hmm. side of the other. This is an issue we can all roundly hate. However, I did see one post from somebody saying, "I'm not saying I agree with the decision, mm-hmm. but here's what the computers are saying," and taking an account pitchers that are as good as him as Blake Snell, were having as good of a run through the game as Blake Snell. And we're facing the top of the lineup. That the top of the lineup, according to the computer, hits three-something after only hitting, you know, 095 the first two times through. So take that for whatever it is. It's it's something we actually discuss a little bit in, in the upcoming conversation. It's yeah. that intangible element. And yep. This is one of those situations where I don't care what the numbers are telling you. This is your biggest opportunity, your biggest game. You've got an ace out there mowing down people. You keep him in. And if the numbers are telling you that to do something else, mm-hmm. you know, then what, are we are we just going to start simulating baseball? Like, let's just not even bother playing it. Let's just roll the numbers, right? right. And, and that's... That's the problem, right, is that there are some things that the computers are very good at telling you, and they will tell you what the odds are. But what they can't tell you is what you see. And if if I'm Blake Snell, I do not pitch another game for the Tampa Bay Rays. Not Mm -hmm. a chance. Not a chance. That was his opportunity at winning a World Series. I have not even heard much from Blake Snell. Have you heard anything from him? Nothing, no. I mean, maybe he has spoken, but I haven't heard it. I'd love to know what he feels about this. Yeah. Maybe we can get him as a guest. Yeah, right. <laughs> I do know that to blame it all on Kevin Cash, I understand there is it came from up above. Yeah. Didn't right, but you watched the movie Moneyball, right? Mm-hmm. The guy, you know, Art Howe said, I don't care if you are, you know, the sexiest man alive. Brad Pitt, <laughs> but I'm going to go with the guys that I need to go with. And that's where Kevin Cash has to say, okay, is this going to be good for my career moving forward? Well, it was a, a, a lose-lose situation in the fact that if he had done it, mm-hmm. right, kept him in the game and things did not go well, Kevin Cash was would get fired because he was going against what yeah. they were told, Right. His only hope was if he kept him in, everything worked out perfectly. By taking him out, regardless of how it ended, he can point upstairs and say, hey, I was just doing what I was told to do. Wow. You know, it, this reminds me of, you ever hear any of those stories about, like, the couples? It's usually like an old couple, and they're driving in their car, they get a GPS, and they get hopelessly lost in the, in the you know, in the outback, in the wilderness, yeah. completely far away from any road because they were just following their GPS. This is the baseball equivalent of that. Yes. When common sense, when the flow of the game, when the momentum in the game, when the player's performance, when every indicator is pointing at keep the guy in the goddamn game. And you just keep rolling along. Now, in the you know, now you're going to have to do a little uh, 
before the show, one of those uh, you know, children under the age of 12, be aware that we have profanity in the show. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? It was a passionate moment. It was a passionate moment. I, and I learned that when I used to take acting is that, you know, and this was like high school plays and stuff. If, if your character would swear because it, that's how it's feeling, then you bloody well go with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, so that, that's all I want to say about Blake Snell. Yep. Stupid move. I can't, I can't understand it. And I'm still shaking my head. Stupid move. Um, the Chicago White Sox. No, no, we're, we're going oh, we'll to we'll save that for last. Okay. Yeah. Chicago White Sox announced today they have hired a new manager. Now, this guy is he's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Fame manager. Has not managed, though, in nine years. Larusa? 76 year old <laughs> Tony Larusa is now the manager of the Chicago White Sox. Very good guess. I did not think you were going to catch wow. that that quickly. Hey. <clears throat> Just the look on your face. When you <laughs> well, you know what's funny is my first thought is what the hell? Why are we recycling old Tony LaRusa again? But now that I think about it, when bring back the old baby, old is, school. It is exactly a shove in the face to analytics. Yeah. It is totally a, you know what? We saw how that works. We're bringing in a guy that did it the way it used to be. Yep. This could help John Gibbons get back in the game. If there is if there is a complete a revolt away. against the way they're doing this. Right? Do you think Tony LaRusso is going to use an opener? Do you think <laughs> if his starter's cruising, he's going to come take him out saying, well, they told me I'm still... No. Tony LaRusso is going to manage the way he's supposed to manage. Yep. I love it. Actually, I love the move. Yeah. I love what it says. I, yeah, we've How many conversations have we had in the last month even with former players kind of talking about the unease with which they're watching the game progress. So yeah, let's bounce it back the other way and get some sanity mm-hmm. back, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, sanity can only last so Speaking long, right? That, yeah. <sighs> Justin Turner, Justin Turner, Justin Turner. I find it really interesting that when I've watched the news, they continue to show a tweet from him that must have been done after the game because he said Oh, what a great moment. It's just too bad I wasn't able to go out and celebrate with my teammates. Uh, uh, was he trying to fool everyone? He was there. We've seen him. <laughs> We've seen him with his mask on, with his mask off, kissing his wife. He marks his own jerseys. <laughs> By the time you're listening to this, we may know uh, if and how many members of either team or family has been infected Mm -hmm. by this. And whether or not you believe that COVID-19 is deadly, whether or not you believe that, you know, getting COVID-19 is like being diagnosed with lung cancer and, and, you know, 50 years ago Mm -hmm. and it means that you're going to die, whether or not you believe in that or not, because there are obviously, as we've talked about, two sides, two very vastly different mindsets towards COVID. I try to stay in the middle on everything. Try to be logical, believe the science, yada, yada, yada. But even if you were a person who leaned toward the other side, the fact that he broke a rule, that he was told not to do it, the fact that even if he thinks, ah, I'm not going to spread anything, mm-hmm. you got to show respect to those who are out there scared. And I'm sure there are players and family that were out on the field that were probably already nervous yeah. about COVID. Yeah. So where's the respect to them? 
just so you can go out and celebrate. Oh, big whoop. You won the freaking World Series. You know, you tested positive. And there's another thing we got to look at, Thomas. Uh-oh. How did he test positive? They're supposed to be in a bubble. So if they've been in this bubble all this time, why is he testing positive? And everyone else prior to the game, no, no other player on either team, and they were getting tested all the time, right? Yeah. So we're told he has it and nobody else had it. Well, you see, there's the scary thing. Like, apparently, a large percentage of these tests, the positives end up being false positives, and then they test the person again, and and it turns out because they're spinning. Like when they take the simple the sample from you, you know, they spin it and recombine the DNA and RNA, and they do all this crazy stuff with it. So it it is a known fact that you know there are false positives, but. <laughs> I mean, even even a false positive. Yeah. Why on earth? You know, it's the simplest. You know, I'll go with you one step further. The, the Justin Turner decision was bad. Yes, it was bad. But think about all of the time, all of the effort, all of the talking, all of the media, all of the work that the league has put in. There should have been systems in place. You know, because, yeah, this virus is, there's a spectrum in terms of what people feel about it. And you have to respect them. Yeah, but the league doesn't. The league should have had systems in place to remove a player no matter what, even on the last game of the World Series. You know, don't give them the option. Right, because that is that is a World Series. That could be the biggest thing in his life. And he may make a really bad decision. Mm -hmm. Which he did. And that's why the league should have been there. They should have had the systems in place to not allow that to happen as even a possibility. Right. Especially mid-game. Yep. Right? And if this is all true and he did the testing earlier and it came back inconclusive and then they decided to test him again and they had to wait for the results, as soon as there's an inconclusive test mm-hmm. like that, that's when you uh, – they shut this freaking thing down for how many months? Yep. Right? At the point that they even have something inconclusive, you say, hang on, let's put the game on hold, right? We can, I mean, they, the entire world of sports, you know, shut down for a great cause, right? Mm-hmm. To, to kind of show their support for Black Lives Matter after those tragic murders. It's not unprecedented to stop a game for something serious. Yes. So I'm not even saying don't play the game at all. I'm saying hold off until you get the results confirmed. And if the results come back and he's he's negative, then great. You play the game as normal. If he comes back positive, then then you have to say, okay, tonight's game has been postponed. It's not like there's 50,000 people that bought tickets for this game, yeah. right? It's not like they have to worry about weather being a factor the next night because they got a roof there. There was no reason at all for that game to start on time until they knew that every member of both teams, right? Mm -hmm. Do you see any reason why that game should have started? No, it's the only thing that scares me. You could play like devil's advocate here, right? Mm -hmm. Look at Major League Baseball as a corporation. And then they start looking at their profits. This is this is complete devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. But do you think I mean, the league must have known that he tested positive, right? 
do you think somebody in the league office just made the decision like if, if we they stop did they this did, now like yeah. every, you know this could be a two week thing it's going to be panic it, it setting be, in well it could be like a rolling list of players then, c- coming right. positive but they they did announce after the game that he had it yeah after the game but not before right but not they still have announced it yeah. you see what Trevor Bauer was tweeting about it no uh, he's becoming a bit of a dinkus again <laughs> you know uh, basically saying we shouldn't be blaming the player so much that you know the league has a big chunk of responsibility, and I will agree to a certain extent. Well, that's kind of what I just said. Right, yeah. They, I mean, they yeah. should have locked him up. Yep. You know, put him in isolation. Yeah. They should have systems in place right. to keep him away from the right. game once he tested positive. Their problem was that they trusted that an adult would be able to make an adult decision. Yeah, well, that's... You know, again, I don't think you you can omit Justin Turner of blame for this because no, he was completely irresponsible. Yeah. yeah. Very irresponsible with this. Yeah, I think he's got to... You know, I mean, I'd, Dave I'd, Roberts I'd like is a cancer survivor, yeah. so that means he could be immune um, yeah. deficient. Yep. Right. Yep. And there you go. Speaking yeah. of deficiencies, you were—I uh, think both of us were reading that one thing that a lot of the victims of this have in common is a deficiency of vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And you look back now at how we were all told at the beginning to stay indoors, mm-hmm. when really we needed to be sitting outside and getting our sunshine. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I know as the summer went on, we were encouraged by many to, to get outdoors. But, folks, if, if you don't get outdoors, make sure you're taking a vitamin D. You can take those little drops, yeah. one little drop in, in a glass of water every day. Public service announcement. Yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're really concerned about COVID, mm-hmm. load up on the vitamin D in the sunshine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that doesn't mean it's going to make you immune, but... The studies are showing a vast, yeah. vast improvement in prognosis for people. Yeah. Depending yeah. on their vitamin D. There you levels. go. All right. Up next, we will answer the one question we have for Ask Barry Davis. And following that, we'll hear from former Toronto Blue Jay GP Aaron Sebia as we continue our series of life after baseball. There's Tom on Barry. You're listening to Out of the Park. Out of the Park presents Ask Barry Davis. How are you as far as a Randy Meisner fan? Not. And yet, I love this baseline. Yep. You know what I mean? You think Timothy B. Schmidt was a better bass player than Randy Meisner? Not really a Timothy B. Schmidt fan. Really? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I thought he played exactly what you'd want to hear in the Eagles. To me, that was, I, I wouldn't have wanted to hear more craziness yeah. on the bass. I yeah. thought it fit. Yeah, but as a bass player, I've never spent any time mm. going over their lines. Just well, well, you should, you I'm should, not saying they're bad. I'm yeah, just, you should have a listen to one of these yeah. nights. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. I love the bass line. I love everything about that song. Yeah, it is a great little tune. It's a bouncy bass line. It is a very bouncy. Very, <laughs> uh, if you ever try to sing it, and we call them the Bee Gees harmonies. Because you have to go, ha, ha, ha. Oh, dear. That, you know, that kind of yeah, voice. That's, yeah, that's yeah. It. The Beatles. The, not Actually, Beatles, I like Bee Gees. Bee Gees. Yeah, yeah. It's called the Bee Gees Harmony. <laughs> anyway, uh, it is time for Ask Barry Davis, and this is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to submit questions or comments. Um, just don't uh, say what somebody said to me on Twitter earlier while recording when they basically told me that Sportsnet was right to fire my effing ass. Um, get your phone away from the microphone. See what you're doing? Oh, wow. You all that? Yeah. Somebody said that they were right to fire my ass. F and ass. They didn't fire me. 
I was not fired. I was not fired, folks. This this is mm-hmm. information that's been out there for a long time. I was not fired. No. Okay. There we go. Okay. All right. If someone wants to submit a question to Ask Barry Davis, we now have a new way they can do it. Yep. Come visit us at nsrmedia.ca. Uh, we should have everything up and running by the time this podcast airs. Or barring that, you can send it to me or Barry on Twitter. I'm at uh, sorry at fourth Don't underscore even know your Thomas own handle. Do you yeah, at fourth underscore Thomas or at Barry Davis underscore on Twitter or use the hashtag Ask Barry Davis. And last but not least, you can come see us on Patreon.com slash Out of the Park. And you know what? You can sign up, throw a couple nickels our way, and help us bring these great talks and these great interviews. And, uh, and you know, get a direct pipeline to send us some great questions. I love it. And this week's question is really not a question on what's your opinion. Mm-hmm. It's a question on something that happened in Major League Baseball. And this was not an easy one. And I still don't know 100% if I have the right answer. Yeah. And I don't know. Do you have the right? Do you 100%? I'm, I am positive that I saw... You know that I saw the answer to this, but I can't pull it up online anywhere and like triple check. So I'm like 99.9% sure I know the answer, but I'll let you go for it. So, well, I well you want to ask the yeah. question All first? Right, here we go. Yeah, if we're ready. <laughs> so it's from David McLaren. Yeah, and David McLaren would like to know: Is Joe Carter the only player, or possibly only non-pitcher, to finish the deciding plays in back-to-back World Series? So basically, it doesn't mean it had to be a walk-off. You, you know, you just had to be part of the final play, meaning you could have given up a home run. Mitch Williams Well, you have to could finish have, the deciding play, the last person to touch the ball. The last person to so touch Mitch the ball. So Mitch Williams wouldn't count for that. Ah, okay. The guy that hit the home run would. Right. So that's Joe Carter. Mm-hmm. And Joe Carter ended the 92 World Series because mm-hmm. Timlin DeCarter, the World Series is over, right? Yep. But... Man, I know that there have been some World Series that have ended with with a home run, of course. Bill Mazeroski's one yeah. is, is you know, right up there as one that ended a World Series. I think that's the only other one, right? But if, if the question was, you know, who has won a game with a home run, mm-hmm. you know, a walk-off home run, but we're not talking about home runs, so David McLaren, I think you have me stumped. Yeah. I, I'm going to say... No, Joe Carter is the only one in history. I've never. You would think if that it happened, it would be something that would have been talked about more than what it is. Because if it was, I would. I would know, right? <laughs> well, I'll I'll put my butt on the line here because I'm I'm positive I saw uh, a special about this, and one of the things that it mentioned was that Joe Carter was the first player in Major League history to end consecutive World Series by being the last person to touch the ball. Well, then there you go. So So we're going to stick with your answer. All right. Let me know if I'm wrong. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It is now time to head off to sunny Florida. Don't worry about one thing. Don't worry about nothing. She said, I'm not going to let this one go. Nobody's on my side. Nobody seems to see. How deep, how far these things can be My eyes are dry
And now, In the Dugout with Barry Davis. Joining us from his Miami residence is our good pal, J.P. Aaron Sebia. So, J.P., you know, everybody is moping and complaining about wearing masks, and you must be thinking, what the hell, man? I've been wearing a mask my whole life, and I never complain about it. Uh, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if, if I would put it in that category because yeah, I wore I wore a mask, but my mask had holes in it, so it was a little easier to breathe. I, I would definitely say that I'm on the uh, team that does not like to wear it. I do wear it and I comply with it, but I'm not a fan of the mask. So yes, I'm with you. I know I know that I wore a mask as a catcher, and it was very different though but i mean hopefully everybody's staying uh, safe yeah before we uh, talk a little bit about you uh world series just ended last night if you're listening to this podcast on sunday it obviously ended a few days ago uh i keep forgetting we record and we can't pretend we're live uh was that one of the most ridiculous things you've ever seen blake smell snell being pulled out of the game at that point i mean i know analytics is a big thing but holy hell man i mean if you if you're if you're his catcher at that moment and you see Cash coming to get Snell, are you not thinking, dude, stay in the dugout? Yeah, no, I was thinking that on the couch watching the game. Like <laughs> this is and and as soon as uh, Barnes gets that hit right there, and he, you kind of feel sick to your stomach because you know what's coming next. And I think that's it's just unfortunate because I do agree that there's a lot of benefits to having a a very analytic you know, driven team. I, I do think that there's a lot of benefits to that. Obviously that that's why they're in the world series. But I also think that there's gotta be tangibles that you can't quantify. And that's one of them. When you have a pitcher who's out there dominating and in control of the game and really, I mean, just mowing, mowing down the lineup, mm-hmm. then you kind of go, well, maybe the analytics say this today, but you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to maybe go with my eye test that you can't quantify and, and say that I'm going to, keep this pitcher in here and when you hear the opposing team say that they were excited that the that the Tampa Bay Rays took out Snell I think that just tells you what kind of you know what the decision should have been yeah you know I, I read a great report about about it today and they were saying you know the next three batters up um were over six heading into that inning against Snell with six strikeouts so yeah, it, it, it does, you know, hopefully this starts a really good conversation. Um, and do you, do you see this maybe pushing the needle back the other way and, you know, maybe stretching out pitchers a little bit further or not maybe going by the books looking for those intangibles? Yeah, I mean, yes, I think it furthers it because one thing with the Nationals last year that the, the Nationals really talked about was that they were an analytic-based team, but they also had – the other tangibles and and they didn't strictly go on analytics. And I think that was something that you heard a lot about the Washington nationals when in their interviews. So I think, I think that there's teams that, that are going to be able to take a look at it. And I think the Rays are going to sit down and have that conversation that when you, when you are in that situation and if you're in that situation again, do we allow him to face that lineup again? Maybe maybe we switch the way we kind of go about our decision-making a tad. I, I think that if any any organization, when you're a couple wins away from winning the World Series, you have to think like, okay, what could I have done differently? And in this case, I think that 
if they were to go and do it again, which I'm sure that they'd say they wouldn't do anything differently, I think that they would. I think that they would maybe not change the pitcher. JP, in your days catching, was it common for, you know, either a pitching coach or a manager when they came out to talk to look at you as the catcher and say, what do you think? I mean, because if there's anyone who gets a feel for how a pitcher is doing and, you know, what kind of groove they're in, or if they are starting to lose it, it would be the catcher. Like, would Gibby ever ask you? Yeah, a lot of times, you know, during my career, that was a question with, you know, in, in between innings was, hey, do you think I should send him back out there? And I was, I, a lot of times I'd say, yeah, I think he still has left in the tank. Or, you know, I'm, my job is to be honest and to give the team the best chance. So if I thought that maybe we needed to pull him, I'd say, I, I don't know. I think that maybe maybe he's done. And, I and you know, so... There, there is those conversations on the, on the, in the, in the dugout, but I just don't know if those conversations are had as much anymore because of, again, it's just an analytical approach. I think you just saw it, like you said, zero for six and punched out six times, and I mean, Cash couldn't have ran out to the man, the mound any faster. <laughs> Uh, once Austin Barnes got a hit. So, I mean, you, obviously, you know, the decision was made and it was made emphatically. So I think that's where you kind of really step away and go, maybe there has to be more of those conversations, which I don't know if there was anybody on the planet that was watching that game. I don't even think it has to be with a catcher. If there's somebody on the planet that didn't go, what are we doing right now? Why are they taking this pitcher out? I mean, <laughs> I think that's it was pretty obvious. All right, let's talk a little J.P. Aaron Sebia. And JP, it's strange that, you know, you were only with the Jays for part of four seasons, but it seems like you were there an awfully long time. And I remember during your first camp and I mean, you were one of those guys, that, you know, you like to chat and we, we chatted a lot in the clubhouse during spring training. And then there was this mad rush of fans wanting to see you get called up. And of course you get called up. You have that magical first game when you're, when you start your career the way you did with the success you had, does it ever does it ever enter your mind at any point? Hmm, I wonder how many years I'm going to be in the league. I wonder like what is it going to be like for me at ten years from now? Do I think about where I go when baseball's done? Are you just kind of living in the moment and taking each day as it comes? I mean, shoot, when you're getting to the big leagues, you're you're fired up that you're living the dream, and I think that you're trying to enjoy the moment. I mean, because you know even you know, you get called up at a certain point, you know that you really aren't going to get into any arbitration or any of those conversations about what my future's like for a while. And so you're just really trying to go out there and have fun. I mean, when I got there, I was like, all right, I want to hit 20 plus home runs, you know, every season and, and do that and be one of the only catchers that I, I think it was Brian McCann that had done it. Like uh, he had a streak and that was like a goal of mine. It was like, I want to be a guy Gets 20-plus as a catcher. You know, that was a big number back then, um, and that was something that I want to do every year. But, I mean, I, I, I definitely was trying to live in the moment. I think as your years in the big leagues continue, then you understand the business side of things where, okay, my second, third year, could I have a contract offered to me? I'm going to arbitration. Those things start to creep in your head. But, I mean, for the most part, when you get up to the big leagues, you're just you're just worried about more – you know what I'm trying to what I'm trying to do day to day. When when you got to the big leagues, your approach um, was it? You know, for for a catcher, um, there's so much more to learn, 
And so, you know, you, you get you get caught up. How quick is the learning curve or how quick did the learning curve have to be, not just with the hitting and the approach of the pitchers that you're facing as a hitter, but with the pitchers you had to learn as a catcher? I think that's the the toughest part, right? Because hitting hitting you can you can watch film, which it's not the same, but you can watch film or you can I mean, it's still the the ball still got to be in a zone that you want to hit, right? So it's it's mm. that stuff is is not as tough as much as my job is to call a game and to win games in the big leagues. Like I need to put down the right fingers. I need to make sure that you know the pitcher is doing what suits him best, what allows him to be the best player that he can be. But that's that's something that you know you take pride in so i think that's the hardest learning adjustment which you know comes in studying Uh, thankfully there's spring training where you're around these guys at somewhat and then now that you only you have to know the pitcher you also got to know the the lineup of the new york yankees you got to know the lineup of the boston red sox you know you know everybody that you're playing against which now you have to learn the hitters tendencies what are their holes what are their weaknesses and so that's the that's the toughest part of it um, but nowadays it's kind of crazy. You see that everybody has a cheat sheet on their arm, which mm-hmm. kind of just kind of tells you, you know, Hey, this count, it, it tells you counts. It tells you, you know, matchups on, on the pitcher that's on the mound with the hitter where the best, you know, scenario to throw the ball, the best location. So I think that that, that part of the game is also kind of going down of, of, you know, really having to have all the knowledge in your brain. You can literally just look down on your forearm and have the information. Can you imagine catching Mark Burley and, and just kind of looking at him and then looking at your arm before you would throw down your signal? I mean, Burles would be like, just put the number down, dude. Yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, it's an old school. It's an old school, but these guys, you know, think about it too, is is these guys are coming up to the minor leagues with stuff like this now. So, mm-hmm. you know, what, what we look at as something that that would be like, man, this is, this is kind of dumb or awkward or how whatever, however you want to kind of, emphasize it i think that that these guys come up they're shifting they're platooning in the minor leagues they're doing all these different things that you're like why are they doing this but but they've kind of been groomed to do what they're doing as an organizational philosophy yeah so jp life after baseball for you and you've gone through a hell of a lot since 2015 one thing I do know is from the first day I met you, I always said to myself, this guy's going to get into broadcasting one way or another. And, uh, well, I mean, you're a catcher, so that was not a really hard stretch for me. But, you know, you got into podcasting, you did some broadcasting. Um, how is life for JPR and CB in 2020, other than the usual battles uh, with uh, everything that's going on in the world right now? Well, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, TV's been going well. Um you know, I had a big slate of games this year, and then obviously the old COVID nineteen decided to take that number quite a bit down by games. But uh, you know, doing the pre and post game show, I got to um, be an analyst on the on the TV game. Uh, so I did my first TV game for the big leagues for the Marlins, and then uh, I did all the playoff games pretty much, which was nice. So it's it's gone well, and it's it's been fun, and it's something that I that I enjoy. Um, I've been mixing in, I was supposed to mix in, you know, quite a few games this year in radio, which from what I understand next year, I'll be doing the, you know, more radio games as well. So it's, it's progressing and it's, it's fun and I'm around the game and I love it. And, you know, I get to talk baseball, which is kind of a, it's kind of unfair. 
uh, that, of a job sometimes I sit there and I'm like, man, I don't know. I feel like I'm not doing enough in, in hmm. on the planet in the sense of, you know, I go to, and I talk baseball and that's pretty much what I do. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's gone well. And it's, it's more of just continuing to figure out ways that I can uh, do that, but still be impactful and, uh, you know, in the world. I remember talking to Buck Martinez and Buck said that even in his early days of playing, there was always something in the back of his mind saying, I want to be a broadcaster at some point. You know, he, he carried a tape recorder around sometimes and you, there was pictures of him interviewing his teammates and such. When did that start to, was, was it mostly you were just so heavily influenced overseeing me, JP, that you said, I want to do what he does one day? <laughs> yeah, I was like, listen, Mary Davis is just my, my role model. And well, thank when this you. is done, I hope that at some point that I can... Uh, you know, grace the field as, as uh, nicely as he did. But honestly, <laughs> but honestly, um, I, I, you know, I didn't like the media. I wasn't a fan of the media. Especially you didn't tell me that. Well, you know, I liked you because yeah. me and you had a relationship and I think that you were me and I, I respected you. And that was one thing that made a difference, but I didn't, you know, obviously I had an issue with the way the broadcast was, was kind of shedding some light, doing some things. And so I kind of was like, not about the media. I just mm -hmm. was like, man, these guys, all they do is talk from the, you know, the, the skybox or, you know, second deck or whatever, the second level. And they, it's easy to, to talk from up there and forget how, how tough the game is. And I think, you know, when I got done, I had multiple people kind of reach out to me and say, Hey, I think that you would be good at this. And, and I think that you would have a chance to, to do some things. And, and so I was like, you know what, let me try it out. Let me see uh, how I feel about it. And, and I enjoyed it because I can speak at a different light. You know, the one thing I, I've always kind of said is I remember how I felt when, when people didn't ask me or get, what I was actually, you know, get things from players as opposed to just go out there and, and throw stuff on a wall. And just because you have a resume and people are going to believe you, I, I take pride in then going to the clubhouse and going, Hey, you know, Brian Anderson, I'm doing a, a breakdown on your swing on the pregame show today. This is what I think. Am I right? Am I wrong? Give me some other things so that I'm, that I'm speaking through the player or for the player and, and, and being accurate and, and being, Somebody again that takes pride in, in making sure that that I'm not just up there kind of spitballing. I, I I really do. And and when I say something negative or say something that, that couldn't have been done or could have been done differently, I explain why it could have been done differently, and I explain why possibly it happened with the scenario, and so that people understand. No one's trying to make mistakes on purpose, but this is possibly what could have could have been done. So I don't know. It, it was. Uh, I like it now because I can. I speak at a different light, and I think the guys uh, respect me because, you know, when even when they talk to me, they're like, man, I appreciate the way you, you kind of go about your business. And so um, that's something that I, I don't forget. Yeah, I mean, there were that, – that situation you were alluding to, there are definitely still – you know, ruffled feathers um, in 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 Toronto about about how that went down because you know as a player I, I can imagine that you know the amount of pressure that that you have to perform on a on a daily basis and then to hear people you know just throwing stuff out there um, especially another catcher right yeah 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 I, and you know 
it it just seems to me it, it's it's wonderful when when you're talking about the the interviews that you're doing now, going above and beyond. It seems like you really learned that lesson, uh, you know, in trying to be fair and trying to present a, a balanced approach in your broadcasting. Um, but you know, uh, outside of that, you know, that one particular issue um, with the broadcast crew and the Blue Jays, is there anything in particular in particular that you took from your time in Toronto that you're using? Uh, as a broadcaster now in Miami? Um, I mean, honestly, I, I think that, you know, you watch the pre and post game show at times, you know, I, I think Joe Siddle does a phenomenal job. Jamie Campbell, mm-hmm. you know, watching Jamie, the way he kind of done, has done things and you listen to Buck and, 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 uh, you know, I, I actually enjoy, you know, every once in a while when, when I put the radio on, it was Mike Wilder and he was on the radio then I, you know, I would, listening and so you kind of just see how styles are mm-hmm. i don't know necessarily if if you know you you take anything as far as what how they do things other than you know i now the little cues that i look for is when i'm watching things is, is mannerisms and what do they do with their dead air and what do they do when they stumble or what do they do like that that kind of stuff but i mean i would say that at that point in my career, I don't think that I was necessarily thinking like, okay, this is, this is where, you know, it's going to go for me next. And so let me like study up on it. But I do, there are people that I, that I mean, that I admire. I, I do love Tim and Sid as well. Uh, I, I used to like their show. I thought they did a good job. And so there's, there's some, some guys that I would look at and think that, that they're, I enjoy how they do things. <laughs> do you watch baseball differently now as a broadcaster than you did as a player? Well, I actually enjoy watching baseball now that I'm not playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's uh, what people don't understand either is like uh, I was with Jan Gomes recently and uh, was, <laughs> me and my buddy were watching the World Series and he's like, well, you guys have fun because I want no part of that, which I, which my buddy then asked me, he's like, do you, do all guys feel like that way? And I'm like, well, most of the people, yeah, when you're doing it for a living, in the game, when you're done playing, you're like, man, I, I don't want to watch any more baseball. I've just been in the baseball field, and, I, and I've and i been around it. And so you might check in if you're, you know, one of your boys is pitching or some of your friends are on a team or if there's, you know, whatever, however it may be. But now I kind of love that, you know, there's a ton of games on. And I can, how, which game can I watch? And which, which game can I, you know, key in on? And I, so I, I actually, my love for watching baseball has grown immensely. Uh, since I've since I've retired, I think I, I really do enjoy watching, you know, the game of baseball. So I, I, I watch as much as I can, probably too much if somebody were to, to <laughs> ask. <laughs> when, when the career was over, JP, and, and you made that decision to retire, was there a thought in your mind of, well, what the hell am I going to do now? And I know for me, when after 25 years of being in radio and TV and that all ended – that was the first thing is like, okay, so what am I going to do now? I mean, you know, I'm, I've still got lots of life left in me, I hope. And I mean, for baseball, I mean, you guys are a hell of a lot younger when your careers end than, than the real world people are. So, I mean, was there concern? Was there worry? Was there excitement? Like what is the feeling that goes through your head when the thing that you've been doing since you were a little boy? And I mean, I remember going to that ballpark with you that you played in as a kid. I mean, that was your whole life was baseball. How do you, how do you adjust? Yeah, you know what? 
I'm I pay a therapist now, so it, <laughs> <laughs> that helps. That helps talking with people. But no, honestly, you know, my first year when it when it when I first retired, I kind of was excited that I had a year that I can take off, and you know, I was married at the time, so it was like, all right, I can kind of have a normal life. And and finally, you know, my entire life I've been playing baseball. I hadn't had a summer off. Literally, I had not had a summer off until I was 32 years old. So. <laughs> It was nice to take a break. Um, I think now, you know, more than anything, for for one that slows down, you start to really kind of think about purpose and where is your purpose and like where, you know, am I supposed to do this? I still, I think, I think I still battle those 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 thoughts in the sense of like, is this it? Am I going to be in broadcasting my entire life? Is this is what it's supposed to be? I, I think there's a beauty of of possibly, you know, doing different things and having options, I, w- I would say. But there's also uh, an anxiety about, like, you know, real life. I mean, there's there's things that I've had to adjust, and I think a lot of players at some point, whether it happens right away when they don't when they stop playing, or as it gets a little bit later, a few years after they're done playing, which has happened with me, is like you kind of there's an anxiety about like man, this, what is my, what is my life going to continue to look like for the rest? You know, what, what is my trajectory? What am I going to be doing? What, you know, because as you know, in TV, I think one of the tough parts of TV is like, you're an independent contractor for the most part Mm -hmm. and you're going year to year. And so, you know that, okay, you know, like for me, I, I know that there's a good chance that I'll be returning next year. I've had conversations already, but there's nothing set in stone and you know that they can go, well, you know, we're going to go a different direction. And then it is what it is. That's just the way it works. And so I think that, that insecurity, you know, is tough for somebody who has anxiety, which I, I battle. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really trying to, and it's easier said than done. It's, it's really trying to step back and go like, well, I have a house, I have a car, I have, you know, thankfully I have some funds in the bank. And so uh, I, and I'm healthy. Let's put that, that's far more important than anything. My family's healthy. So there's something can happen otherwise, and I'm in a good place right now. So that, and, and that's something that I try to remind myself is just kind of go with the flow because, and who knows, and this is obviously not the case, but anything can happen the day from now and you can be, gone off this earth and you know you waste your time worrying so much about other things and again i say that about easier said than done because i still we all still worry (laughs) you know you touched on anxiety there and um you know uh, there's a whole bunch of questions that come to my mind um but i guess probably the the first thing i'd want to ask you is uh was the anxiety always with you as a player and it became a problem afterwards uh, when you didn't have that outlet for it anymore, or was it something that just cropped up a couple years out of the game for you? Oh no, I had it when I was playing, especially when I was struggling. Um, that's when it really uh, got got tough. My my last year in Toronto is when it really like started getting tougher, and just kind of dealt with it ever since. But um, yeah, I mean that's it's a it's a thing. It's a, it's an ongoing battle. I think it's kind of the way some people are wired, and there's mm-hmm. there's a good there's a good part of it, right? Which means I think that just the way I put pressure on myself is the reason why I was able to have a career that I had, but also, but also, um, 
hurts me in, in a lot of aspects of life because it's, it's, you know, you put so much pressure, the perfectionism and all these different things that then create, you know, such a fear of failure that it's, it's, that's where the, the anxiety takes off. So, you know, I think, I think there's just a lot of different intangibles. And then when the game is done, I think that you still carry that, but then you carry it into to more of a life, which is actually becomes a little bit scarier in a sense. Knowing that you dealt with this as a player and you learned to use the tools that you have inside of you to kind of help you with it. Did that make the adjustment a little bit easier in some ways that, I mean, you can't stop these anxious moments from coming, but were you a little bit more prepared to deal with them when they hit you? Yes and no. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a crazy. And we will hear more about what JP is referring to uh, as he digs real deep uh, in our conversation about anxiety and I don't know I mean I knew we were going to touch on anxiety with JP I didn't know we were going to go this deep with him on it no I was um, shocked mm -hmm. it, 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 how forthright and, and how just upfront he was about his own struggles and and you know mental health is, is kind of my thing and and for us to have the talk, I'm really excited to share this talk with everybody because I think the three of us do a really good job of, of touching on some really heavy stuff but doing it in a positive way. Absolutely. And again, uh, real helpful stuff for anybody who is struggling with mental health. And does JP and CBS still battle with it? Well, that's something you'll have to find out in part two. And Tom, if people want to become members and access uh, these wonderful part twos that we have available, how can they do that? patreon.com slash out of the park so awesome yep and for as little as three dollars a month you can access this material and help support the show because we love doing this for you each and every week but we do need your help and being a member allows us to give you something back it's not just well i'm just going to pay for the opportunity to listen out of the park we're going to actually give you a little extra something so mm. uh if you have it and you're available to do it then we'd love to have you aboard uh tom i'll tell you what I still don't know exactly what it is I'm good at, but I know one thing. I'm very good at recognizing a potential disaster for a co-host because now I've done it twice. Wow. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're actually you're good at what you do, too. <laughs> you are. You've been listening to Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Thanks for joining us. Get home safely and see you next time.